Open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're continuing our trek through this book. Order in the House is the name of the series. Now, for those of you who know me, you know that I like movies. I particularly, though, like movies about space or they're set in space. So whether it's Interstellar or The Martian or Gravity or First Man or Hidden Figures, I love them all. I'm, in fact, I'm watching one right now, For All Mankind. It predicts, it, it, it shows this alternative reality where the Russians beat the Americans to space and get on the moon first. But undoubtedly, and if you're any kind of movie buff, undoubtedly your favorite space movie, of course, is Apollo 11 with Tom Hanks, right? So Apollo 11 is that mission before they actually land on the moon on Apollo 13, and they're going to, to scope the moon out and do a couple of orbits and, and check it out. Well, if you've seen it, you know that there is a, a massive accident en route, and this is, a ma- this is an accident that not only threatens their mission, but it also threatens their very lives. And the story is about how, how they had to take all these radical measures and sort of kind of uh, science their way out of the predicament that they found themselves in to sort of stay on course. Now, spoiler alert, right? Okay. Hope this is 40, 50 years later, right? Spoiler alert. Tom Hanks makes it, all right? Tom Hanks should not die in any movie, okay? Except Saving Private Ryan. He should die in that one. But you get it. And he infamously says in this movie, remember when, he, when they look out the window and they see the damage that this fire has done to the spacecraft, he says, Houston, we have a problem. Now, this morning in our text, we can absolutely say, and I think the Apostle Paul says, Ephesus, we have a problem. See, Paul has given the church a mission, and the mission is what we've been talking about this morning, to take the whole gospel to the whole world. But as we've seen in this first chapter in, in, in this book of 1 Timothy, there have been problems and divisions and disunity and false teaching. And, and what has been the sum total of all this, Paul is going to tell us, is that it's threatened to derail the mission of the church. That the church has been put there in this time, in this place, to be a gospel witness. And Paul says, unless radical steps are taken to heal and to deal with the deep divisions, you're not going to be able to stay on mission. Now, I'm going to say something that should be blatantly obvious, and and I think you're all playing along by this point. Because obviously we're in in a season of deep cultural division. And I would say that this division is, is mirrored in many ways, even in the body of Christ and the evangelical church. And so whether it's politics or race or COVID policies, let's be honest, there, there tends to be this shroud of suspicion or skepticism that sort of permeates our relationships. And what I think the Apostle Paul wants to show us this morning is that this is not merely a problem of unity, although it is that. It's more so that our lack of unity hinders what we're to be about. Our lack of unity hinders our gospel mission. And as we're going to see, Paul has a prescription for what ails us. But this prescription, and I have to warn you, truth in advertising The the prescription that Paul is going to point us to is going to see at first so inefficient, so impotent, so inconsequential, 
That it's going to just, you're just, we're going to be tended, tempted just to be like, okay, okay, Pastor Paul, we've heard that before. But Paul is deadly serious when he tells us this morning in our text that we are fundamentally in this season to be about prayer. And we're going to be challenged in our notions because prayer, we, we think of prayer as being sort of that preliminary in order to set the stage for the big show. It's that thing that you have to sort of anoint what we're doing with in order for that thing to have success. Rarely, I find this even true in my own heart, do we see it as the main thing, as, as, as the fuel and essence of the mission itself. And that's where Paul is going to take us this morning. And so if you're able and willing, I invite you to stand. We're going to read 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 8 together. And if you don't have your Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Listen to God's word, 1 Timothy 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, <clears throat> that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given <clears throat> at the proper time. For this I was anointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Let us pray. Lord, open our eyes to just how futile and desperate we really are to make spiritual life happen to change people's hearts, to heal division. Lord, we don't have that ability. We don't have that power. Lord, only you, through your Holy Spirit, using the witness of your word in our hearts and lives, only you can do this thing. And so, Lord, we're praying that you would do it now, not just for our sake, Lord, but for the sake of those who live all around us who desperately need the hope of Jesus. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Please take your seats. <clears throat> three things we're going to see in this text. There's actually more than three, but I'm going to confine it to three, thankfully. So here are the three things. We're going to talk first about the priority of prayer. Then we're going to talk about what it means to pray for people. And lastly, what it means to pray for peace. So when we think about the priority of prayer, I want you to look at verse 1 where Paul just throws the gauntlet down right out of the chute when he says, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Now, when Paul says, first of all, understanding that this is not preacher speak like I just did this morning, like I've got three points and here's the first one. That's not what Paul is, is doing here. What Paul is saying is that let me tell you the most important thing that I can tell you to do 
about the problems and the disunity that you are having in the life of the church. Your top priority, Paul is saying, is to pray. Now, that word, I urge you, it's the strongest sort of word. It means to implore or to evoke like a curse or blessing. In other words, Paul is not using our 21st century jargon that we love to use when it comes to stuff like this, right? You know, you know I, I suggest that you pray. I would encourage you to pray. It would bless my heart if you would pray. It would make me happy if you would pray. Paul does not mess around with any of that. He gets right to it. I urge you to pray. And we have to ask, Paul, why is this the first order of business? Paul, the church is burning down. The world is on fire. The, the, the culture is exploding. Why in the world would we seclude ourselves from the world and be about this business of praying? And I want you to follow the logic here for a moment. Because in times of division and conflict, much like we are experiencing right now culturally, things are by definition, are they not, cloudy. Things are unclear. Things are confusing. Things are ambiguous. So many times we want to know, God, just tell me what to do in this area, this area, this area, or tell me, God, what to think in this, this, and this area. And it's oftentimes unclear what that's to be. And as Christians, we're coming to different conclusions about these things as well. And so these times of unrest are by definition unclear and confusing. And let's just say right off the top this morning, this is going to be obvious, Sunday School 101, but God is not any of those things, right? God is not unclear. God is not surprised. God is not ambiguous. God, God is not confused about what is going on. God is the fount of all wisdom and truth. Thus, we should surmise, then if that's the case and we're in the season of great confusion, then of course we should be compelled towards prayer. And in fact, Pastor Paul, that, that it, would, it would seem logical then that this last year has been marked by a great season of prayer on the part of the church. Is that your experience? Not, not, not exactly mine, to be quite honest with you. See, if we aren't praying to God, in other words, if we are prayerless, please understand something. That relational energy that motivates us to pray, if we're not praying, that relational energy just doesn't dissipate. It has to go somewhere. It has to, it has to find the, the path of least resistance. And so often, instead of going vertically to God, where does it go? Horizontally to one another right? Whether it's talking, posting, pontificating, tweeting, snapping, gossiping, complaining, I try to get all the words, right? That's what characterizes us when we're not prayerful. It's not that that just kind of goes inward and goes away. It finds a way. Relational angst does. This is why Paul says, look at verse 8, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, Lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Just a question, just a friendly question. How much time have you spent in horizontal communication with God this season? 
I'm sorry, horizontal communication with one another this season versus vertical communication with God. Which of those has most characterized your spiritual life? See, what is oftentimes our default, and this is because of our flesh, it's because we have a perspective and we think it's important. What is oftentimes our default when it comes to seasons of upset and instability is that we want to say our peace, don't we? The world is just waiting for that bit of wisdom for me to drop on them, and everybody will be better once I do that. We want to say our peace. We want to share our take. Guys, let me just say something. There's a place for words. I mean, for goodness gracious sake, we, we believe a book, right? We are preaching through a book of the Bible, the Word of God. But Paul says, that's not your first impulse is words. Paul said our first impulse should be to pray. You know, it's really interesting. It, it's hard to argue with each other when you're praying with someone, right? Do you notice that like when you're, when you're praying for something, it's hard to be angry with that thing or something? It, it's almost as if, I know it's, it's not magic, it's called the Holy Spirit and dwells our hearts and minds and transforms our hearts and minds as we pray. And this is one of the reasons Paul says to do it. Here's a great quote from Scottish pastor of 200 years ago, Robert Murray McShane. He says, what a man is on his knees before God, that he is, and nothing more. What a man is on his knees before God, that he is, and nothing more. Now, with that said, with prayer being a barometer for you and I in our spiritual lives, who have you and I been this season? Who have we been? Now, let me just say this. I am incredibly thankful for what I believe here at Four Oaks is a church family that has a natural posture and instinct to pray. I, I really believe that. For, for over 20 years, folks, the, the elders have been gathering every Tuesday morning, not primarily to do business, but to simply pray. There's some of you who would come out on Thursday, first Thursday prayer, either in the morning or at noon, and you pray over in Gallery 14 for each other, for the gospel, for our gospel partners. You are praying. Because there are, there are, I'm just going to single some of you out, some, not by name, but because it would embarrass you, but women in this church who I know are just absolutely prayer warriors and who are praying for the needs of this church and its leaders and one another. I know many of you are gathering in community groups, in your Bible studies, your accountability groups. You are praying. I, I walked by the window at Maple Street the other day, and there was this huge group of, of, of Four Oaks dudes at that big round table in the middle. You know what I'm talking about? And, and they were so immersed in, in coming together, they didn't even notice me walking by. I don't know if it was the Bible or biscuits or what it was, but they were in it. And so I'm incredibly thankful one area I would love to see us grow. You see, I didn't use the word but, right? Didn't do that. One area that I would love to see us grow this season as a church family is to do what Keller, Tim Keller calls more kingdom-centered praying. In other words, expanding our hearts to needs beyond our current situation and bubble. In other words, that, that we would pray past 
Aunt Bessie's big toe, even though we love Aunt Bessie and her toe, and we hope it gets better. You get what I'm saying? Now, now don't hear me say I disparage that, because I do not. We are to bring everything before God. But in bringing even our smallest needs before God, what an opportunity, like the Apostle Paul does here, is to bring our big prayers and to say, God, I may never be around to see it, but I'm praying for your kingdom to expand. I'm praying for people to come to know the gospel. I'm praying that Jesus Christ will be manifested in a big way. And it's amazing. When you and I start praying big prayers together, it's amazing how that lack of clarity and confusion and division and strife just begins to recede. Which brings us to our second point. What are we to be praying about? First thing Paul tells us to be praying for is people. Now, I want you to look in verse 5 for a second, because verse 5 contains the central truth upon which everything else is based. Verse 5 has the central truth by which the Apostle Paul says, I'm organizing my entire life in ministry around this particular truth. And it's found in verse 5. Let's read it. For there is one God, Paul says, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. In other words, Paul's saying, here's the reality, that man is hopelessly separated from God. And there is one way and one way only between God and man, and that is through this go-between, this, this gulf bridger, this mediator called Jesus Christ. It's only through the God-man who came, who gave his life as a ransom for many. And Paul's saying, if, the, if it is true, and folks, we believe it is true, if there is no other name under heaven or earth by which men will be saved, if Jesus Christ, as the Heidelberg Catechism says, is our only hope in life and death, that means there is no other single truth or reality that is more important than this one. Because this is the only news that will save. Mankind's greatest need, let's personalize it, your neighbor's greatest need, your coworker's greatest need, your Facebook friend's greatest need is for Jesus and his gospel. Now, when we look back at the text in verse 4, and it tells us that God, our Savior, desires all men to be saved, what, what Paul is reflecting on there is this idea that God's heart is for the world. That he is calling all kinds and all types of people to be saved. In other words, Salvation is not confined to only one tribe, only one group, only one ethnicity, only one political party, only one country, only one socioeconomic class, only one vocation. And because the gospel destroys all of those human-made boundaries of identity which we are so big on today. Because the gospel obliterates them, Paul says we can now pray for everyone because 
everyone needs Jesus. And guys, that, that, is, that is simultaneously the most offensive and the most hopeful thing that you can tell a person. It's offensive because it means that whatever self-made way that they are seeking to find meaning and purpose in life is not going to work. But it's full of great hope in knowing there is a mediator, there is a man who has bridged this gulf between us and God. Everyone needs Jesus. Now, understand something, that in calling the church here in Ephesus to pray for kings and rulers, we need to understand something. At this point in church history, there are no Christian rulers. There are no Christian kings. In fact, rulers and kings and authorities were the people at this point in time in the life of the church who were least likely to be a Christian. They were the folks who were most likely to be standing in opposition to the things of God. In other words, Christians would have had every reason to distrust and to fear this group of people. What does Paul say? Pray for them. Pray for them because they need Jesus too. Let me ask you a question. And it shouldn't take you but half a nanosecond to identify this for yourself. But who are the people or the groups that you feel the greatest antipathy towards this season? It could be groups here, groups out there. Who are the people, the groups that you have the greatest amount of distrust or the greatest fear or the greatest suspicion or the greatest anger? Is it Antifa? Those MAGA people, is it the progressive elites? Is it the mainstream media or the government, the white nationalists? People who don't see eye to eye to you on your takes and convictions around COVID? Instead of talking, putting your anger, your energy that way horizontally, here's what Paul says. Why, I got an idea. Why don't you pray for them? Pray for them. Again, you will see what God does in this. That the people that you see online or the people you see on TV or the news that are doing whatever it is that you don't like, and when you begin to pray for them, there, there is just something supernatural that happens. It's just God's spirit begins to work and open your eyes to the fact that these are actual image bearers who need Jesus. These are people made in the image of God that apart from Christ have no hope in this life. Now, let me just make a quick theological note before we move on. And this is not the main point of the text, but it's a question I'm sure that arises for some of you. And it has to do with this idea that God desires all all men to know him or all of them to come to know him and to be saved. Please understand, this is not in conflict with Paul's other teachings about the sovereignty of God, whether it's Romans 9, Ephesians 1, when it talks about election, predestination, God's sovereignty and salvation. Paul's honing in on two points here that are so critical. And so don't go into philosopher mode. Just go into, listen to what Paul's saying. God desires all men to be saved. In other words, all kinds, all types. That's one thing Paul means. But it also means, please hear this. 
that God is not up in heaven rubbing his hands together and chuckling at the fact that people are perishing. Listen to what Ezekiel 33.11 says about this. Say to them as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Guys, God's heart is a missionary heart. God's heart is for your neighbor, for humanity, for those we live life with. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. What does Jesus say? I didn't come to condemn the world. The world's already condemned. Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which is lost. And one of the things that happens when we begin to pray for people in whatever context we find them is that they amazingly begin to transform from enemies to opportunities. And we come to see that they need Jesus just as much as you and I need Jesus. Third thing, and then we're done. Paul says, pray for peace. Let's be honest. When we hear something like praying for peace, we, we snicker a little bit, right? We think about John Lennon and the Plastic Ono Band singing, all we are saying is give peace a chance, right? Or Miss Congeniality saying, I'm for world peace. Who can be against world peace, right? But we mean something deeper, more profound than that sort of peace, And so there's two things that Paul would have us pray for and the church in Ephesus to pray for. One is peace in the world, and number two is peace with each other. Let's talk about peace in the world first. Go back to verse 2. Paul says to pray for leaders, for kings and leaders. So listen, so that we can live quiet lives. In other words, we need to pray for our leaders so that God will give them wisdom even as unbelievers, by the way, to know how to order society, how to keep the peace, how to provide a context for us to live in that is safe and secure. And when Paul says this, I think he surely has in mind the situation in Ephesus not many years before when there was a what in Ephesus? There was a riot. And this riot was incredibly disruptive to the church. It resulted in people in the church being thrown, or leaders of the church being thrown out of the city. It was highly disruptive to gospel ministry. And Paul's saying that when we pray for our leaders and we're praying for wisdom for them to know how to order society, he's saying that it's in those atmospheres of stability, okay? Now, I didn't say freedom, so just hold on those atmospheres of stability where the mission of God can go forth without violent opposition, that stability is conducive to the gospel. Now, it's interesting. We typically think of the Roman Empire trying to stamp out Christianity at every form. And there was a time in the life of the second century church when this was the case, but not in the first century by and large. See, by and large, for the first 30 years of the church, the church operated relatively unmolested. See, there was peace that reigned throughout the Roman Empire. Why? Because Rome would throw down opposition and revolt like that. There was the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, which allowed the gospel to go forth unhindered across nation states and borders. It was was a situation where 
the gospel and the church sort of flew under the radar subversively. And, by, and this is, I love this, and by the time the Roman Empire noticed, guess what? It was too late. The empire was already on fire through the power of the Spirit. As I think about a nation like Iran right now, and there is no question it has an oppressive regime, but despite all of its oppressiveness, and no one would want to live under that, please understand, it has been a really, relatively stable culture since its revolution over 40 years ago. And do you realize that in the last 20 years, hundreds of thousands of people have left Islam to trust in Jesus Christ in Iran? Do you realize that more people have come to faith in Jesus Christ in Iran in the last 20 years than in the previous 1,300 years combined? Why? There was this subversive witness. There was just people going about doing their thing They were praying for their leaders. They were doing what they could, when they could. They were sharing the gospel. And guess what? The world was praying for them. Guys, there's a great lesson in that for us. Guys, one thing that we should be praying for rulers is not just that they would be saved, but they would have the wisdom to know how to rule in a way that is conducive to the spread of the gospel. Because we ought to pray Tuesday when the session comes back and for the next 60 days is the session here in the, the, the capital city of Florida here in Tallahassee. We need to pray, pray for those people. Pray for the cabinet. Pray for the governor. Pray for our committee members. Pray for senators. Pray for the House of Representatives. Guys, we should pray for the new president and his administration. We should, we should pray for wisdom. There are many, many life-altering, impacting decisions that are being made. Pray for your leaders. Because when we think about the unrest of this past summer, civilly, when we think about the unrest around the Capitol just earlier this year, I would believe Paul would tell us, pray against unrest in any form. No matter how much you may, because of your political leanings, identify with, 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 with any of those causes, Paul says, no, no, no. Pray for peace. Pray for your rulers that you may live an orderly and quiet life. Which brings us to the last point under, under this last point. Okay, so peace with each other. We pray for the world. We pray for peace with each other. Now that word, go back to the text, that we may live quiet lives. The word literally means stillness or tranquility. It's not talking about being, um, being mute or not saying anything. It's talking about an inward disposition. It's, it, it, it's pointed to the idea of and asking you, is your soul a channel of calm? You know, growing up in Chattanooga, which is surrounded by lakes and rivers and, and such, when we were at camp, we would get up early in the morning around 7 a.m. to go out to water ski on Chickamauga Lake. And that was the time to do it, right? Because that's the, that's the most opportune time when that lake would just be as smooth as glass so that even people like me could get up on water skis, all right? With two, two only, right? With two. And I just remember cutting through that water with little or no opposition. That's the word here. 
That's the word. When people sail, this is important, when people sail through your waters relationally, Four Oaks, what kind of ride do they give or do you give them? You know, so sometimes, nobody in this church, but sometimes you walk away from interactions with people and you are just bound up and anxious and worried and agitated. Is that, is that your effect on people? Or when people come into your sphere, is there just that calming, non-anxious presence that says, yeah, brother, I know, just trust in God. Yeah, brother, I know, but God's got this. Yeah, brother, I know, but let's pray about that together. Do you add to the drama? Or are you more of a spiritual lagoon, a harbor, where people are able to orb in and connect with the Holy Spirit through their relationship with you guys? I think every one of us should take verse 8 across the top of our phones and keyboards as our, as our little life verse. And this is not a precious moments verse. It's not a verse taken out of context from the Old Testament somewhere. It's, listen to verse 8. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Because let me just say this. We all know it is so much easier to say something across a keyboard than it is face-to-face. And, and I pray that maybe God would give you grace when you sit down to post something. Post a picture of your family. Post a picture of what you're doing. Post a picture of your outing. Post some encouragement. But just when it comes to current events, just take a moratorium. Just take a moratorium. Or if you can't take a moratorium, have you ever thought about just praying over your words? Praying before you hit send. Praying before you respond in that conversation. Praying before you ready your retort to pray. Because why is this important? Why does Paul say this is the first thing, the urgent thing, the most important thing? It's because of our gospel witness. See, do you see how prayer is so bound up in the missionary heart of God? God says, I desire all men to be saved. But when you are consumed inwardly, bickering with one another or the culture around you and not leading quiet lives, it's the gospel that suffers. It's the witness of the church that suffers. See, the gospel carries enough offense of its own right? It's, it's enough of a dividing line without making everything else that. And just as Paul is urgent and, and anxious to see that this church in Ephesus stay its course, run its race, and to be on mission, folks, that opportunity is before us in the church as well, right? You know, it doesn't seem like it, but you know, this season is going to be over, hopefully sooner than later. And we have to ask, what kind of church will we be? What kind of people will we be on the other side? And I believe if Paul was here this morning, he would say, Four Oaks, be a praying church. Praying for the most important thing. And that's for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is our only hope in life and death. Let's pray.